time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports, stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. Who wants to talk baseball? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you. It is bonus coverage of our podcast with the opening of the Cactus League and the Grapefruit Circuit Spring Training Camps. John, a ton of topics on the table as it relates to Major League Baseball and front and center. The Padres are the topic of conversation everywhere in Major League Baseball as we welcome the fans on live stream to our bonus coverage podcast on a Monday. Your reaction when you heard the word opt-out, free agency, Manny Machado. Yeah, I mean, this was huge news when this broke, but I don't know, I kind of saw it coming, you know, because we have a, he had a five-year contract and an opt-out on the fifth year. And, you know, there's a lot of emotion amongst Padre fans right now. The people are worried. They're nervous. A lot of people are saying just to relax, it's going to work itself out. But let's break it all down. Manny Machado was in Baltimore and they couldn't wait for him to leave. He kind of acted his way out of popularity with the Orioles. They went to Dodger Stadium, and by the time they got to the finish line, he was booed there. He was beloved in San Diego. Despite the record contract that he got, he became a different player. He became a different leader, and now he does this. My instant reaction was, A, he has every right to opt out after the fifth year. B, it is only February. Why is he talking about it and opting out in February? It will become a topic of conversation for the entire season. C, pressure points are everywhere. You're the star of the Padres. You're the cornerstone of the Padres. You're the leader of the Padres. Why are you creating additional pressure points, a.k.a., a distraction by doing this at this point in time. I just don't understand the rationale to make this a public issue now with a 162-game schedule ahead of you. And, of course, why would you give the Padres a deadline of February 16th, have them make one small offer, no negotiations, outright rejection, and then the announcement, I'm opting out at the end of the season. You have created a furor for yourself that's going to trail you from the dugout to third base, from the dugout to the batter's box. He hit 298 last season with 32 home runs and a gold glove type season, got MVP votes. What happens if he does not have that kind of season this year and the pressure points will be on him? I just don't understand the methodology of creating this issue right now when he can't file for free agency till next November 5th, five days after the World Series is over. Why would you create the situation right now? Yeah, it was it was shocking when it came out. But like you said, he has every right to do this to opt out. It just seems to me that this is just part of the negotiation, trying to manipulate public um, perception, you know, maybe the court of public opinion here. Um, I was surprised that he put it out there because he is usually so careful. And when he is interviewed, he usually doesn't show much. He doesn't show much. Um, he doesn't show his cards. But this time he did. And I was shocked by that. 
Well, he, you know, when he, when he signed, it was a shocker. 10 years, 300 million, 30 mil per season. Now, reportedly, the Padres came to him after the Padres were given the deadline, and they said, you continue the contract, and we'll tack on the last five years, we'll add another $105 million to the $300 million that you've already got. Mm-hmm. And he turned it down right then and there. The report out there in USA Today is that his people asked for 10 additional years at $400 million. That's $40 million per season starting next year through the age of 42. Here's an issue for the Padres, and maybe they did not think this through correctly. The minute the Padres become big-time players in free agency and start writing the kind of checks that Peter Seidler has authorized A.J. Preller to write and spend, you're creating a bar. For example, when they gave Manny 300 million, 30 mil, that's the bar for the next free agent that comes in. I want more than that. When they supposedly went after Aaron Judge or made a potential offer to Trey Turner, that creates a bar. They gave Xander Bogarts an 11-year deal. That creates a bar. The next guy wants 10 or 11 or maybe more with big money attached to it. When you give you Darvish a contract, John, that stretches to age 42, now suddenly everybody wants a contract of that type of extension. It'll take me through ages 30 into age 40. So maybe the Padres did not think this through correctly because now everybody wants megabucks, everybody wants long years, and everybody wants to make sure you don't pay any attention to their age by the time they get to the end of the contract. So now there's now there's all types of complexities on top of Manny wanting $40 million per season for the next 10 years through his age of 40. Well, they would have had to have known that. You know, that they know Machado is a businessman. He's going to want to maximize his value in the market. Actually, just like any other person in the job market, no matter what you do for a living. But I just think that he has a really good relationship with Seidler. He's got a good relationship with AJ. These are things that there's probably been discussed over time, but this is just some of the gamesmanship that they're going to go through. I have confidence that they're going to work it out, that Seidler is going to find a way to extend him. But to your point, yeah, the bar keeps raising and the money keeps increasing. But at the same time, other contracts are going to come off the books. I mean, they're going to, you know, you won't have to pay Drew Pomeranz next year. And there's a number of other guys that'll give them a little more flexibility. If I were king, Even though he said we're not talking anymore, you can talk right to the start of the baseball season. You don't want it to be a distraction starting with the first weekend of the regular season. But if I were king, I would offer him a five-year extension, $200 That gets him to $40 which I think is the number he really wants. And it only carries him through age 35 or age 36. Because once you get beyond that, All kinds of things change. Bodies break down. Maybe you lose your bat speed. And suddenly, if you're not the same guy getting around on pitches, your batting average changes, your home run ability changes. But I think over the next five years, because he's hardly had any injuries at all, and the guy just Mm -hmm. plays over five years, I think that's a valid superstar contract. I'm sorry, I would never give him 10 years guaranteed lock, stock, and barrel. No, I'm not going down that road, even though you gave Bogarts 11, different price tag, even though you gave Darvish a contract that takes him to age 42, 
but he's a proven commodity pitcher, and I think pitchers can pitch older. That that five-year $200 million to me should be make or break. I'm not going beyond that. Thoughts? Yeah. If there's any guy you can bet on long term for a position player. OK, I mean, like Darvish made a lot of sense for a pitcher you know, to go a long term. But Machado takes such great care of his body. He is so focused on being the best. He's a champion. And the way he plays the game, he, he's not like reckless like Tatis, you know, so he knows how to play the game. He's he's thinking about his longevity. He's thinking about what Nelson Cruz is doing as a 42 year old. And he can see himself in that situation that maybe over time he transitions away from the left side of the infield to maybe first base or DH. Um, so I my instinct says that is going to work out. Seidler's going to find a way. AJ's going to find a way. Because, you know, when they signed Musgrove, which who, by the way, signed in the middle of the season, it wasn't a deadline in the preseason. They had their ducks in a row. They know they got to sign Musgrove. They've got to sign Darvish. They had, they had a pecking order. And we're now, the next guy in line is Machado. And then after that, it'll be Soto. You're wearing your Padres cap, speaking from your Padres heart. I understand that. Yeah. I'll tell you what scares me, though, is I know the history of Manny Machado in Baltimore. I know all the junk that he did and how he treated people. And by the time they got to the finish line in Baltimore, here's the door, walk through, good luck to you. And I know what happened at the tail end of Dodger Stadium with this attitude. And so he came here with attitude, and he came here with a lot of baggage. Has he changed? Yeah. But boy, to see him conduct his business this way and create this furor, knowing he's got a whole baseball season ahead of this and Mm -hmm. the spotlight's going to be focused on him, is Manny reverting back to what Manny was as an Oriole and what he was in Dodger Stadium? I hope not. I mean, you're too, you're talking to me. It's all going to work out. Yeah, I'm talking to you about past history, what I've observed and what people have told hey, me. Manny is matured. He's a new man. You know, he's not the, the punk ass kid when he was in his early 20s. He's grown up. So, uh, again, I, I think this is going to work out fine. Um, Seidler has shown that he is willing to keep and hold his players. Machado is a marquee guy. He's going to find a way to lock him up. I see no I see no evidence of a damaged relationship. Yeah. I just well, yeah, all right. Well, I see right now is that Manny is playing the game. He's probably being coached by his agent on when to say it and and how to say it because he is very very careful about what he presents in any kind of an interview. This caught us off guard, but I'm sure it wasn't flippant. It was calculated. I will tell you, as I sat and wrote my one man's opinion column on my website that's posted right now, you should read it, Manny versus the Padres. As I sat there, I thought to myself, what is the average baseball fan dealing with today? Outrageous gas prices, unbelievable cost to go get groceries, Mm -hmm. unemployment, war, Ukraine, divisiveness, every type of negative thing. And now baseball fan? has to observe this asking for $40 million a year when the average baseball fan sitting in San Diego is dealing with all this crapola in their life? You don't think that's going to turn people against Manny Machado? Uh, I don't think so, man. You know, because we love Manny. I mean, Manny is our guy. Manny is our superstar. He helped legitimize the Padres franchise. We know the amount of revenue that's going into the sport. Players 
across the league are getting more and more money. And just when we think they are making as much as they possibly can, someone gets another 10 mil AAV on top of what they were making. So as, as long as this baseball economy, the fan interest, the revenue is so high and growing and the Padres are selling out, you know, nearly selling out every game. Manny deserves what Manny deserves. Guy wearing a San Diego Padre hat. I guess the big question, who's going to get booed more on the road? Fernando Tatis for all the stuff he did or Manny Machado for what he just asked? Go to my website. Check my one man's opinion column on LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Agree or disagree. That's what I think. All right, let's move on. We got other baseball topics to talk about in our bonus coverage on our Monday podcast. Yeah, so let's take a look at this pitching breakdown because they've amassed so many arms, and I'm just kind of curious how it's all going to sort out. Well, the Padres veterans are now in camp. First full practice will be on Tuesday. Pitchers and catchers have been there since last Monday. Padres right now, according to the list that I've put together, have got nine veteran starting pitchers all with all types of experience. It starts, obviously, with the Yates and you Darvish, and then it obviously moves to Joe Musgrove, budding star and leader, the veteran Blake Snell, and then, of course, the addition of Michael Walker, who I think automatically becomes number four. And then you got the battle for number five. Is it is it Nick Martinez, starter-reliever? Is it Seth Lugo, the ex-Met starter-reliever? And where do you go from that point on? So they've got potentially nine starters. The Padres have got eight guys in the bullpen, and that starts with the closer, Josh Hader. To anybody who can be a setup guy, whether that is Luis Garcia, whether that is Tim Hill, whether it's the reinvention of Craig Stammen, whatever else they bring in there, they've got eight. That's 17 established veteran guys who've been to war in the major leagues already. And then down on the farm system, you got the Cole Hamels of the world, and I got 12 potential pitchers, some young, some veterans, some journeymen, some like Cole Hamels, that'll be at, at least at El Paso. I think the Padres have the best starting staff and the deepest bullpen of anybody in Major League Baseball. And if you look at the second list of names, these are guys who be fighting positions, four positions in that rotation or maybe at the front end as the long reliever in the bullpen. I don't know whether Cole Hamill's velocity ever comes back to what it was prior post-surgery. Julio Terheron was a really good starting pitcher in Atlanta. He's fought through some arm problems, has kind of bounced around, but you never know with new coaching what you, what you can uncover in teaching guys in their approach to pitching. I just love the Padre pitching staff, even though not everybody is slotted specifically, but that's deeper with more proven guys than anybody in baseball. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, you think about a 26-man roster, they're going to carry, what, 13 pitchers? 13 or 14. Yeah, maybe 14. So right there, you got 17 guys. So you figure you got some nice insurance policies if if people break down, and that's going to happen. They didn't have as many injuries last year. They were fortunate. But something's going to go sideways. You know, you can count on that. Um, Then they also have an opportunity, I think, to sort of do – the NBA equivalent of the load management, right? You know, the guy kind of pitches a lot of innings and you put him on the injured list or send him to AAA for a few weeks where they can kind of rest and relax a bit. So I think the six-man rotation, I think there's a lot of flexibility here. And I think, to your point, 
this starting rotation is outstanding. And I think the Padres are positioned to do very well. I agree. And I also think there's a sidebar to that. When you get into the, quote, bullpen days, if Cole Hamels is on your roster, if Julio Teheran is on your roster, those are bullpen guys that might be able to give you quality innings yeah. and maybe go get a win on a bullpen day, which normally in the past used to be we're going to get our brains beat out because they're throwing the back end of the bullpen into, into the rotation. So like the pitching. Now, next question. A lot of unknowns here. We're going up the road. <laughs> to, to, to Dodger Stadium, and we talked about this before, all the new names. You know, we're starting to sift through. We're trying to figure out who's on first and what's on second. So let's let's break down all these new faces with the Dodgers. Well, manager Dave Roberts and, and Andrew Friedman, their president of baseball operations of the opinion, that yes, it's a very, very different roster. Lots of new faces, lots of new places. You know, history, John, is that the, the 10 guys – Ten guys are gone from last year's roster. They cleared over $100 million in salaries when the Justin Turners of the world vacated and Trey Turner jumped as a free agent, etc. But they have enormous belief uh, in their kids. And I think this is the fascinating thing because we haven't seen them yet. But will the double play combination hold up? I'm talking about the shortstop, Gavin Lux, who bounced all over last year. Played a lot of positions, but it's going to be the guy at shortstop. And Miguel Vargas, hot young rookie. And when he had his cup of coffee at the end of last season, he played really well. I don't know whether James Outman can be the established everyday center fielder. Anything's got to be better than Cody Bellinger hitting 198 over a three-year span. They like this kid, Mike Bush. They think he might be the first baseman of the future. He's hardly played at all at the major league level. And then the young pitchers, and and these two guys showed something at the tail end of last season, Ryan Pepio from Oklahoma City and Gavin Stone, and they got another one, Bobby Miller. So they've really got jewels coming out of AAA that they think are about ready. But that's a lot of guys to count on to say they're going to be established major leaguers and they're going to be able to replace what Justin Turner gave us at third and Trey Turner gave us at short and what Cody Bellinger gave us once upon a time in center field. And then you add into that what I call the one-year rentals. Noah Syndergaard is is throwing 99. Now, he was electric, and he was a great pitcher with the New York Mets, and then he had all the physical woes. Last year was kind of a bounce back coming off surgery year. He was competitive, and he went from the Angels to the Phillies and then became a free agent. J.D.'s Martinez was told today he is going to be the designated hitter 99% of the time. It'll be interesting to see. He's not hitting at Fenway Park anymore. He did very well. It'll be interesting to see, though, if he's got good bats around him, does he get better pitchers to look at, and does he put those pitchers in play and knock them out of the yard. Uh, David Peralta is going to be a utility outfielder, but the guy's a career 281 hitter, had injuries last season. Uh, they've also uh, they've also brought back Jason Hayward. Hayward, of course, is a former Cub and Atlanta Brave. He had injuries and he got into bad habits. He's re- rebuilt his mechanics at home plate. He had home runs today in the first full day of batting practice over in Glendale at Camelback Ranch. I said, wow, 
He thinks it's a new guy at home plate. So you got Haywood, and then obviously uh, Miguel Rojas, who came from the Miami Marlins, can play shortstop, can play second base. Didn't hit well last year, but he's a gold glove guy. Has hit in the past, a little bit of power. Maybe Rojas is the insurance policy that the kids at the top of the list, if they don't get the job done, Rojas is there. It's a very different roster. They're they're banking their hopes on a pile of AAA players from out of Oklahoma City and the one-year rentals. Thoughts? I mean, how about a guy that plays center field? His name is Outman. I mean, isn't that perfect? <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I love that. But, you know, the Dodgers have had so many rookies of the year. Remember in the 90s, they had them like four years in a row. I mean, it was who was it? It was Steve Sachs. And I can't remember all of them. Andre Ethier was probably one of those guys. Um, so Karos was the other guy. So they have always put together this this great farm system, this great player development program. I think a lot of these guys are probably going to turn out. Now, to your point, can they count on all of them at once at once? Because they're going to need to do that. I mean, if you've got, you know, a, a loaded all star roster and you've got an open slot at second baseman, and you bring in Steve Sachs as a rookie, you know, it kind of works out. But this maybe is not going to work out. So there's just a lot of questions. We've never had questions with the Dodgers going back 10 years. We've always known what they're going to be, and they've usually always proven to be exactly that. So this year, we'll see. We've never had the numbers of questions. Yes, exactly. Okay, on we go. Let's talk about something really significant. This has to do with the business side of baseball as our bonus podcast continues. This involves Rob Manford, the commissioner, and what he's been forced into. And I'll just give you the brief background. Major League Baseball's local TV contracts, the Padres contract, the Dodgers contract, the Angels contract, for example, are all negotiated with independent companies and regional sports networks popped up in which they they got the rights to the Padres and they put the games on. At one point, it was Cox Cable Channel 4. Then it became uh, Fox Sports, and Fox sold their regional networks to Bally Sports. Bally Sports is in huge financial trouble because so many people have canceled their cable contracts. Bally Sports just missed a $140 million interest payment on loans that they had stockpiled uh, since they took over in place of what was then Sinclair's diamond concept. Baseball is alarmed because none of the clubs, there's 16 total baseball teams that have regional sports network deals with Bally. None of those clubs have gotten their rights-free money. The rights-free money in San Diego is $50 million a year. That's what Bally pays the Padres to telecast all those games. Uh, the angel number is $125 million. Now, the Dodgers have a very different TV contract. They're under Sportsnet with a whole different company, so they're not in danger. But there are 16 major league companies. Baseball has indicated they're taking control of the regional casts, and they will produce them, they will televise them, they will execute them. You won't notice a difference on the Padres. You will still get the very popular Don Orsillo and Mark Mudcat Grant in the pregame show and the postgame show and all that. But the big issue is the Padres, like all these other teams that have these regional contracts, are not going to get the $50 million rights fee that they're due this year. Baseball doesn't know how much economically they're, the, each club is going to wind up getting. Uh, we've yet to learn who's going to 
foot the financial bill for MLB to take on these telecasts. So there's a lot of stuff going on over the next six weeks. It's going to be sorted out. One thing baseball did do is they hired the former CEO of Bally Sports, and he's come to work under the commissioner's office flag. So he will try to put this thing together. But this is this is a huge financial piece of the amount of revenue that the Padres, like these other 16 clubs get as part of the regional sports contract. So I'm kind of alarmed. I'm kind of concerned about that revenue stream for this team. Well, this is a time of transition, right? I think the NFL and the NBA are all going through this where, you know, the old school cable TV is people are cutting the cord and they're going to all these streaming options. And, you know, just for me as a Padre fan, I, we cut the cord about three months ago and it's a, it's a little rocky at first, but, you know, we get YouTube TV. We can see a lot of things, but we still can't see the Padres on YouTube TV. My plan was to, to was to subscribe to the direct TV package, which can sit on your Internet connection, um, just like Netflix would. And then you could get, you know, the valleys through the direct TV. Um, but. It's always been like this hit and miss thing every year going into the start of the season. It's different. It's different. You know, it's everyone's wondering, what, how are we going to do this? So imagine, meanwhile, cable te- channel, cable television monthly subscription fees are going through the roof. People are cutting the cord. Yeah, the revenue for this these guys are going down. So Major League Baseball has to adapt their business model to fit the reality of the year 2023. The NFLs, they're streaming on Amazon, right? They're streaming in a lot of other places. The NBA has been very progressive on this. Baseball needs to catch up. I think what you're going to find sometime in the next six weeks during the Cactus League and the Grapefruit Circuit, they will announce that each market that had a regional sports network is going to be able to get access to that game through MLB TV. You'll subscribe that way, and there'll be a direct Padre channel. There'll be an Oriole channel, a Pirate channel, etc. This is just not baseball uh, because Bally had 42 different contracts, NBA and NHL, mm-hmm. in addition to Major League Baseball. So something to pay attention to as it relates to how am I going to get to see my games uh, with MLB taking this thing over. And this this is like a bolt of lightning that nobody expected this to happen. And all of a sudden, Bally is about to file for bankruptcy. So I'm not quite sure Bally is going to protect all of its clientele or whether Bally is going to just walk away from it. But we'll we'll keep tabs on that. Well, you know, MLB, they, they black out the local games. They're going to I think they're going to get rid of the blackout. OK, OK, that makes sense then. Okay, on we go. Speaking of Major League Business, let's talk about Major League Baseball stadiums. Now, this has gone on and on and on and on and on and on. Tampa Bay does not support a very good franchise, the Tampa Bay Rays. They've had a terrible situation at Tropicana Field, uh, playing on the Suncoast Dome, old erector set stadium. It's really lousy. Uh, They have tried really hard to come up with financing in Tampa for a stadium and land acquisition have not been able to do it. It looked hopeless in St. Petersburg. Now there appears to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Evidently the ownership, the Sternberg ownership of the Tampa Rays has agreed that they would finance the building of a new baseball stadium. It'd be 32,000, maybe 
27,000 maybe, but it would be built on the other side of the bridge in St. Petersburg. And then St. Petersburg is going to use all types of grant money to try to come up to develop all the ancillary land around the stadium. In today's modern day sports, John, you build a stadium, but you build a lot of business stuff around it, whether that's hotels, whether that's office buildings, etc. So it looks as if Steven Sternberg has made progress by talking to St. Petersburg after striking out in Tampa, talking about, I'll pay for the stadium. You develop the infrastructure and we'll share the profits to make it work. So they're making progress there. In Oakland, it's a destitute financial city. It's a calamity. They've made no progress at all. There have been all types of threats. A's might move, maybe Las Vegas. Uh, The owner, John Fisher, in Oakland, continues to have dialogue with the new mayor, but that does not mean there's any money in the till in the city of Oakland for that. Hell, they can't pay their potholes. They they can't pay their teachers and their hospitals and everything. How are they going to fund a baseball stadium? It's just an economically depressed area, despite the heritage of athletics baseball. They are negotiating with the Las Vegas Fairgrounds, and they are negotiating with Tropicana for stadium land adjacent to the hotels. Oh, but uh, at the the end of the day, John Fisher and the A's are not going to be given gifted a stadium like the Raiders were. They're going to have to pay for a chunk of it. They've talked extensively about paying for a stadium in Oakland, but the city of Oakland and Alameda County has never come up with the financing for that Harbor district, which would build hotels and build office buildings and build housing and condominiums. Because it's a business thing is you got to build all this other stuff to make the stadium viable. So that's where we are now. I think the Tampa deal gets done first. I don't know where the Oakland deal is going to wind up. And, you know, out there on the periphery, and, we, and you and I have really not talked about this at all yet, and we will in our podcast, is these other markets that want Major League Baseball. Nashville's been really, really progressive. Uh, Montreal, although they don't have a baseball stadium, they, they still have the old Olympic stadium, but Montreal is a exploding economic marketplace in French Canada. Uh, You know, Portland has talked, Charlotte has talked about regional franchises and stadiums. So I think Tampa is going to get done. Uh, Maybe fans will support it if it's on the St. Petersburg side of the bridge. Oakland, to me, just looks hopeless. And on the field, they look hopeless. They look like a triple-A ball club because ownership has refused to spend money. That's a bad situation with Oakland A's baseball. Yeah, it is. It's a shame. I mean, because the A's have had a great history there in Oakland and won four World Series, right, during their time there. My understanding with Oakland was that they had the money. The A's had the money for the stadium. They were just in a scrum with the city about where they were going to, what land they were going to use. And there were a lot of disagreements about the land there. But Oakland is just a great city. And and it's kind of going through its own renaissance right now, particularly with, you know, all the wealth that's just pouring into the Bay Area. Oakland is experiencing some of that. So I'm kind of rooting for them to find a way, but it's not looking good. As far as Tampa goes, I'm still just always surprised that all the retired people in Florida don't just flock to the games because they're Yankee fans and Cubs fans that are retired in Florida, why are they not season ticket holders for the Tampa race? I agree with you. And, and in fact, when baseball expanded way back in the day and they gave us the Florida Marlins, now the Miami Marlins, and then they went to Tampa, I thought crown jewels, as you say, melting pot of people from everywhere. The whole Northeast spends a chunk of the season 
there. But then you, then you realize summer weather in Tampa, summer weather in Miami, just a bit <laughs> sultry. So therefore, it's not it's not Red Sox fan, Yankee fan, etc. Mm-hmm. Just because you're outside and the elements are horrible. Uh, cheap ownership has helped has hurt a great deal. You know, Miami won the World Series once upon a time and then promptly tore the thing up and became a small market team and has never, ever recovered from that. Tampa has always been developmental, small market, small budget. They're going to budget a $66 million this year, Tampa. But historically, they've always done well developing players in the farm system. So the markets that I thought, including the Hispanic market of Miami, I thought would just go crazy over Marlins baseball. Has not happened at all. And Tampa, it's even happened less, despite the fact that the Rays have had had good teams. So I guess you and I are both uneducated about that geography because I thought it was going to be a hit and it hasn't been. Well, you know what's interesting about both the A's and the Rays is that even though they're small market teams, their management is very savvy and they've found ways to beat the system, but they can only do it for a short period of time. And then they have to blow up the model and then start all over. So you got to give credit to those guys for, you know, because the general managers and the baseball manager, they can't control all the economics. They can only control what they put on the field and they find a way. So, you know, Billy Bean, another San Diego guy, he's done it in Oakland. Use the word blow up. That goes to the next topic. The owner of the New York Mets says, don't blame me for the amount of money that I'm spending. We're talking about Steve Cohen. Don't blame me that I can afford to have, as of today, a $354 million payroll at City Park. Uh, As of today, they're on the hook for $374 million. That's what their luxury tax number will be that they're going to have to pay into. Steve Cohen says baseball has to solve its problems. Uh, The New York Mets, everybody's excited. Brand new pitching staff. I mean, they were really active. Very old pitching staff. That's for certain. Uh, You got Max Scherzer, and then you got Justin Verlander, and then they went on and got Jose Quintana. Uh, They let some guys go. So this is a New York Mets team that is really, really different. But I was surprised this week on Sunday night, baseball announced the formation of an economic committee that's going to study the revenue disparity and the revenue spent on players with the New York Mets at the top at $354 million as of this afternoon and the Oakland Athletics at the bottom with $46 million. And there's a lot smaller teams there from, from Oakland to Pittsburgh to Baltimore to Detroit to Kansas City that are all spending Pittsburgh spending south of $70 million in payroll, while the New York Mets and the Dodgers and the Padres and the Yankees are where they are. Uh, baseball's got to find a way. The general consensus is that when this economic committee finishes its work and hands over the report to Rob Manfred, they are going to recommend that Major League Baseball and the next collective bargaining agreement use the terms hard salary cap. Mm. And I don't think the union's going to like that conversation at all. The only way you're going to make the sport better collectively is if there's more money shared and more money has to be spent on players. Because for every New York Met franchise that's spending that kind of wealth, you got five clubs at the other end of the spectrum that aren't spending anything at all to develop players. And I don't think that's healthy for the fans who root for the Cincinnati Reds or 
what few Oakland A's fans are left or what's gone on in other markets that are smaller in dimension. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, this is a very interesting time. I mean, the Baseball Players Union is arguably the, the strongest union in the entire United States, right? So uh, they're not going to put up with what they don't want to accept. But at the same time, while a salary cap may be difficult, a salary floor seems like a very reasonable thing to do. Um, you got to give it up for the NFL. They figured out a way. We I've got Green Bay, you know, as one of the top franchises in the league. They found a way to have that competitive balance. Um, baseball has work to do. Well, the NFL has a floor to spending. You don't have to spend the max on salaries in the National Football League, but you got to spend a close percentage point of what the max is, which means there's more money for guys to go to other teams, even losing teams, because they're going to get paid. Baseball has absolutely refused to adapt the Florida spending. The unions have refused to adapt it because their sense is, the league has told us, salary cap, Florida spending. And I think the union's wrong. Because for every mid-level pitcher out there who still gets guys out, he should have a right to go make a nice payday if it's in Oakland or Pittsburgh or Cincinnati. But those clubs are only spending $60 million in payroll. So there's, they're not spending on veteran free agents. Veteran free agents would change what the Cincinnati Reds have become, change what the Pirates are, change and give hope to the young Oakland Athletics. But there's got to be that money that has to be spent by those teams if there's a Florida spending have not gotten there yet. I do believe as we go through and talk baseball during the course of the year, this is going to turn into a civil war between the union, which is aghast at the idea of a cap and Major League Baseball. That's got to do something to create parity and the NFL model where you get you got the top, you got the hard cap. But you've also got to spend close to the hard cap because we're giving you all this revenue, shared revenue, revenue sharing. you got to put it back into the thing. Stay tuned. That story is, is far from over. Last topic on the table here before we go to our fans forum, John. Yeah, so I mean, you made the list of all of the different free agents that are still on the on the board, I and mean, we have some, some familiar names there. Uh, has there been a Trevor Bauer sighting yet? Uh, I would have thought by now. Somebody would have taken a flyer on him. He has not gotten a call. Uh, I have a hard time believing Trevor Bauer is going to go pitch in the Mexican League to prove himself. Maybe in Japan and Korea, which have signed veteran major leaguers, maybe they don't want to touch him because they think he's a little radioactive. He has not been signed. Most every other legitimate arm in Major League Baseball is gone. Now, it is surprising Brad Hand, who had an ERA of 2.58 in Philadelphia last year, pitched pretty well down the stretch, has yet to be signed. Zach Britton is the ex-Yankee closer. Uh, He's coming off arm problems. It looked like the Mets had an interest, but that looks like that's gone away. Michael Pineda is a former Yankee and Minnesota twin, and when healthy, has pitched pretty well. There have been some injury issues with him. Uh, Garrett Richards... Ex, ex-Padre, ex-Angel, uh, Garrett Richards was with the Red Sox, but there's been health issues there. Chris Archer, once upon a time, was really viewed as the next hot young arm coming out of Tampa Bay. He's just not been able to stay healthy. He was in Pittsburgh. He was in Minnesota. He's yet to sign. So everybody needs pitching. Somebody's going to get guys who get hurt. Maybe one or two of these guys are going to surface, but I am survive, surprised nobody, nobody's 
made an offer to Trevor Bauer. And in terms of the everyday players, the most unique name that's still out there is Jerickson Profar, who had such a really good year in left field for the Padres, but just has priced himself out of the marketplace. I'm kind of surprised, but maybe nobody nobody's going to pay him $15 million as his agent wanted. Maybe nobody's going to pay him the $8 million he was supposed to get when he opted out from the Padres. So your thoughts on Trevor Bauer, your thoughts on the left fielder? Well, all of these guys are waiting to see how spring training develops because guys always get hurt, you know, and, and I think a number of pitchers have already been hurt. It's already been announced. I still, if I'm going to put money on the table and make a bet, I bet that Trevor Bauer will be playing in Major League Baseball this year somewhere. I don't know where. There's obviously going to be a big PR storm around the whole situation, but a team that's going to be desperate for pitching is going to find a way to rationalize it. And they're going to find a way to try to convince their fans and they're going to get holy hell thrown at them for it, but it's coming. Um, I saw that Brad hand was uh, talking to the twins. That's a possibility. Um, and yeah, Chris Archer, he used to be like this really hot guy. I, I remember the, the, the Padres had, toyed with the idea of having him come here, at least Padre Twitter did. Um, but now he's really kind of fallen off the radar. I mean, and he's just such a great young man. You ever, he's really good in the broadcast. Booth he was too. an all-star with Tampa Bay. And then yeah. all of a sudden, physically, he kind of fell apart. So it'll be interesting to see where this thing goes. All right, time for Fans Forum. And before we do that, we want to remind you that if you like what we do on our podcast, we do our bonus podcast on Monday. We do our regular extended podcast on Thursday. Please subscribe. You can subscribe on YouTube, any of the other forums that were out there. So then you'll get the alerts because we do post a lot of stuff on a day-in, day-out basis. Also, please check my website. It's written. you got to read my One Man's Opinion column today on Manny Machado. Just go to the website, Lee hacksawhamilton.com punch up the one man's opinion page uh see what you have to have to say about what i wrote about manny machado and then of course there's hacksaw's headlines and the best 15 minutes in radio john we got questions posted we got answers coming i mean this is probably the most uh, insane uh fans forum and there's like 30 or 40 messages here we'll try to get to as many as we can um this one is from mark schwartz he says I don't think the Padres have even started to tap Machado's marketability with our neighbors in Mexico. Well, the Padres have tried to plant their flag in Mexico a lot over a long period of time. Larry Lucino, I think, was really the first one that started it. But I think that's a that's a long process. But the Padres, you know, they're 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 projecting three million fan support this year. That's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, if they get three million, that means they're going to have a ton of sellouts, which is going to mean it's going to be very hard. Uh, to wedge people into the stadium. The big issue, and you didn't answer the question, uh, are you going to pay Manny Machado 10 years, $400 million, $40 million per season? Or maybe they should take Hacksaw's plan and just offer him five years, $200 million, until you get to age 36, and you can always put an option in for the sixth year or the seventh year, etc. cetera. Uh, I'd much rather see that. I hope this does not get messy. I hope this does not get ugly. I hope this does not bust up the community support. And I hope it doesn't become the way Manny exited the Orioles and exited Dodger Stadium. Yeah, well, I, I think, like I said, I think he's a mature man. He understands his place. Um, he's learned, I think, also by, 
by being a mentor to Tatis, he was like Tatis was when he was in his early 20s. That gives him a little bit of perspective. I have confidence that Peter Seidler is going to make this work. This is just a little bit of gamesmanship on how they negotiate. I'm not worried about it, even though Padres Twitter is freaking out right now. This guy co-hosting with me, doing this with his heart. Next question, please. All right. So this is another comment. I think this is a good one from uh, from Wolfpack 1977. He says, hopefully they keep Mark Grant and Orsillo as a broadcast crew and maybe Tony Gwynn Jr. like listening to him on the radio. Well, I think the, the broadcast crews and the whole structure with whatever MLB comes up with to replace ballet sports will stay the same. They're not making any changes in, in terms of the quality and the content of the broadcast. It's just the logistics of, of how they're going to produce the broadcast and how much it's going to cost the fans to be able to go get the broadcast and where is that broadcast going to be. Stay tuned for details. That's probably coming in the next six weeks. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're a professional broadcaster. I mean, what what's your opinion of the of the the squad, the team that the Padres have um, in the booth? They've had some really good TV broadcast crews, guys that I liked. I, my first came here, I liked Dave Campbell a lot. And he had an edge to him, and maybe they didn't like him in the front office at times, but I like those guys. They ran through a whole series of other guys. You know, at one point, they used to do a simulcast. I mean, they would rotate Ted and Jerry being in and out of the TV booth to the radio side, etc. I like Orsillo, and I like I like Mudcat. Sometimes he kind of goes off on a tangent, and I have to reach <laughs> through the phone and uh, screen and pull him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're good. Uh, I Sometimes when you change guys or you keep rotating different guys in during the course of the season. I don't like that. Uh, you know, the Dodgers have got like seven different guys that are part of their television broadcast crew. And I like Joe Davis a great deal. Uh, but I just, I like the consistency and the quality and the information that is presented. And by having all these different guys jumping in, some are quality broadcasters, unique personalities, some guy are raw. Some guy are really rough to listen to. So I, I like what they've done here in San Diego with this collective group. And I can never remember or under, ever understand why Donnie always let go by the Boston Red Sox because he was an institution at Fenway Park. Yeah, I mean, he's great. We're lucky to have him. I, I just have so much fun watching the games because I think our solo and Grand are terrific. And they're going to get a bobblehead night, you know, this year, <laughs> which is great. Um, and, you know, even the pregame, postgame guys, I mean, they all do a good job. Tony Gwynn Jr., you know, young man, he's been very good as well. Just reminds us so much of his father whenever sure. he speaks. I mean, but uh, I, I'm just, it's just great to be a Padre fan with those guys kind of all around, you know, the broadcast. It is unique, though, to sit there and listen, because some nights Mark Grant has given advice as to how I should take care of my golden retriever. Well, that's and usually then, when the score is like eight to one. You and, know, you know <laughs> there's other nights he's talking about my favorite Mexican restaurant or how, how do you prepare this pasta with peppers? And that's that's ah, a little bit off See, the baseball I, track. I like that. I mean, because it makes me smile. It makes me laugh, <laughs> especially when the game is kind of, you know, lopsided. So I say more of that. I mean, that's what because I listen to other broadcasts like when I'm traveling and the guys are just so monotone, you know, just so plain. And I think, you know, the guys who have in San Diego, I'm happy with them. Yeah. And you can't analyze every ball on strike. Because that'll drive you crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next question. Okay, so this is from Angel uh, Barragan Jr. He says, Keros, Piazza, Mondesi, Nomo, Hollinsworth. (laughs) How the hell did that happen? Well, great organization. You know, the Dodgers, John and I have talked about this. 
uh, the Dodgers were the front runners. I mean, not only did they break the color barrier with Jackie Robinson back in 1947, but the Dodgers are the ones that really made the first incursion into Mexico. And the Dodgers made the first incursion on the Pacific Rim, whether that's Japan or whether that's Korea. The Dodgers did enormous things in Cuba. And obviously, the Dodgers opened the first academy in the Dominican Republic. They opened the door for all these players to, quote, get off the islands in the Caribbean. So, I mean, Dodgers have been ahead of the curve uh, by developing all these great international players, and they've scouted well. They've historically the Dodger way. That was that was how Branch Rickey called the operation of the franchise, the Dodgers way. Very successful for a long period of time. But John, they opened up a lot of doors in a lot of different venues to give a lot of young men the ability to get to Dodger Stadium. Yeah, I mean it's a great franchise. They've got a great history. I I mean when I grew up a Giants fan in the seventies. That was a frustrating time, and the Dodgers were terrific, and they always churned out outstanding talent and to your point they were they were groundbreaking in terms of of giving different categories of players different categories of ethnicities opportunity and you have to tip a hat to that organization for it the question now is is the player development in 2023, the same player development that we had in the 90s when it was Karos and Piazza and everyone else. It's a different group of people, but the philosophy, we'll see, is it the same or not? I'm curious. Everybody has opened up international academies. A large proponent of major league teams do stuff in Japan, do stuff in Korea. Getting the Fernandos out of Mexico is a little bit of a different challenge because the rules to purchase those players is very, very different. But I mean, the Dodgers have been the, at the forefront of player development for a long period of time. Next question. Okay, there's just so many here. Um, and let's take a look at here. This is another one from, from Angel that I thought was good. He says, I lived in L.A., and thanks to the fire stick, I'm able to see the Padres on TV. You, you know what the fire stick is yeah. in, in that world? Yeah, kind of. But <laughs> no, that's that's great. But you're probably one of the few and far between that has that ability to see it. But I do think MLB baseball is going to do a really good job uh, with the structure of whatever the new TV contract will be. Now that ballet sports is, looks as if it's getting out of the baseball business in the next six weeks, we'll have details on that coming. I would think before opening day. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to finding out because I've got to reconfigure my package. I've got YouTube. TV now so I can get CBS Sports Network so I can watch the Aztec games. So the good news is, is that basketball season ends right when baseball season starts. So I might flip from YouTube TV to the direct TV. But again, it might change again. I, everything's up in the air. Well, the best part for me was the Super Bowl Sunday ended. And on Monday, everybody reported to the Cactus League and the Grapefruit Circuit for sports junkie who loves information. That's it. Got another question or two here you want to throw at me? Yeah, and this is from Mark Schwartz. He says, it would be brutal to play baseball in Vegas during the summer. Unless it was a dome stadium. And, you know, that's that's one of the things they're arguing about as we talked about what's going on in the Sun Coast in Florida, uh, Dome Stadium in Tampa. But then what does that do to the cost factor? It's a big issue. Miami built a Dome Stadium, the New Marlins Park, uh, and it still has not brought people back because the team hasn't been very good. So it is a complex issue to build. But I think if if it is a 30,000-seat stadium in Las Vegas, it's going to have to be air-conditioned and be a dome because you're absolutely correct. It, it would be just brutal, as witnessed by Phoenix. 
Arizona Diamondbacks, Dome Stadiums, multiples of them. Because uh, I used to broadcast Phoenix Giants baseball in the old Pacific Coast League, and that was outdoors, summer nights, hot slab cement stadium that just baked. Oh. And I don't care if it was 8 o'clock at night, it was still 102 degrees <laughs> in a stadium, a cement stadium that had baked all day long. It was warm. Yeah, I mean, that was back also in the day when they played outdoors in Houston, you know, with the Colt 45s and all the mosquitoes and the humidity. I mean, it was just nuts. They got, yeah, they got to go to a dome stadium. Um, here's where was this one here. Oh, yeah, this is from uh, Mark Schwartz. He says, Lee, where do you think Otani will sign next year? Oh, that's open for debate because Otani is being very closed mouth about his wants and wishes. But you know what? The, the blueprint that John and I examined uh, with all the data and the way they handle the contracts and who left and who was not replaced and how they have configured their roster this year, I got to believe Dodger Stadium. I got to believe there there is a reason that the Dodgers let all these guys go, reason why they're going to have as many as five rookies plus two rookie pitchers uh, on that opening day roster, and the reason why they got below the luxury tax threshold, because I think they're going to make the run at Otani. It'll be devastating if the Angels lose him, but ownership says, Artie Moreno said when he decided he's going to keep the franchise, my priority is to re-sign him, keep him here, and try to put a much better team around him. That's easier said than done because that takes free agency, it takes the farm system, et cetera, but the Angels are in the run. I don't think he's going to go anywhere else. I don't think he's an East Coast guy. Uh, the wild card might be Seattle because they historically did a lot of things, starting with Ichiro Suzuki in the Pacific Rim. And in Japan, maybe Seattle, but I I gotta believe it's it's going to be the Dodgers or the Angels. Yeah, I I think that's those are likely places. I mean, you know, Padre fans are wishing he'd come here, but you know, the Giants have a lot of payroll flexibility. I mean, why not San Francisco? Um, you know, it's in West Coast City. It's it's a, a international cosmopolitan area. That would be a nice spot for him. Do they have a good team to put around them? I mean, when the Angels go to make your presentation, and here's our roster, and it's made up of 21 guys who are free agent acquisitions, who are one-year rentals, that's not a sign of a great organization. That's an organization that's always in scramble mode. And, you know, we, we hit the jackpot two years ago with a bunch of guys who signed on short-term contracts. Last year it fell apart. Now we got all these new guys coming in and one-year rentals. I think that's a bit of a reach. I if you're asking me, I think Dodger Stadium over Angel Stadium for Showtime. Really do. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our bonus coverage podcast on Monday. We're here every Monday with special events podcast. We're here Thursday with our long-form podcast. And again, we invite you to subscribe. We invite you to tweet, email, Text your friends. Tell them Hacksaw's back with a special podcast, Hacksaw's Headlines. Go to YouTube and all the other channels, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton Sports, and check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. Agree or disagree, I guarantee you'll get a ton of information. John, great day talking baseball. We will talk to you come Thursday. Yeah, it's going to be a great sports week. Looking forward to it. Yep. Thanks for being with us. We'll chat with you then. Thanks for joining us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.